The Bible reading for today is from 2 Corinthians, verse 11 to 13, verse 14. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, but I am not in the least inferior to the super-apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders and miracles. How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I'm ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? But that as it may, but that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did he not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. Absent. While on my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we would live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Do not... Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, and even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak but you are strong and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
Hopefully I'll be able to compete with the rain. I heard a bit of thunder before, which sounds a bit ominous, but hopefully we'll be all right. I think if I was Paul, I might have just given up on the Corinthians. As we were reading through the later chapters of 2 Corinthians with my growth group the other week, the thought struck me, how has Paul not given up on these people? Just to remind you of the story so far, Paul planted a church in Corinth. He appointed leaders, and then he moved on. However, then he heard that things had gone downhill, so he wrote a letter. This letter we don't have today, but Paul does refer to it in 1 Corinthians. Then Paul heard things hadn't improved, and so he wrote 1 Corinthians. And in this letter, Paul addressed the sinful behaviours of the church, including factions, court cases, and sexual sin. And then Paul visited Corinth, and it was painful. Despite these two letters, some people still hadn't repented. Then after that painful visit, we're told that Paul sent a third letter via Titus, another one that's lost to us. And in this letter, he again rebuked them. And then we get to 2 Corinthians, and Paul is again rebuking these people before he's going to visit them for a final time. It's clear in our passage today that as Paul prepares to visit Corinth for the third time, there are still major problems. There's still people who haven't repented of their sin. Some members of the church probably aren't even Christians. And as we've looked at the last few weeks, things have been made even worse by the so-called super-apostles. False teachers who have sent vicious and untrue rumours about Paul. Paul has poured so much energy into this church, and they've let him down again and again. They've even believed the lies about him, rejected him, and slandered him. I think if I was Paul, I would have given up on the Corinthians. But he doesn't. Today, as we look at the tail end of 2 Corinthians and finish our series... We're going to look at the deep fatherly concern that Paul has for the Corinthians. But before we dig in, let's ask God for his help to understand his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the way you speak to us through it. Father, as we look at it today, help us to understand it. Help us to learn from it. And Father, help it let us change the way we live in response to all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see on the outline you got as you came in, I got a bit excited about alliteration. From our passage today, Paul shows us five features of his ministry to the Corinthians. Number one, sticking with people. Number two, serving. Number three, strengthening. Four, straight talking, which is really just rebuking. And number five, supplication. Really, that just means prayer, but I wanted a word that started with S, so that's why I used supplication there. Let's have a look at the first one, sticking with people. Read with me from verse 11. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. So, as Paul notes in verse 11, he really should have been commended by the Corinthians. After all, he was the one who planted the church, and he'd continued to care for them again and again, despite their spiritual immaturity. But instead of commending Paul... 
The Corinthians had criticized him. They'd accused him of being weak, inconsistent, and even corrupt. But Paul persevered, as he says in verse 12. In the very act of writing this letter of 2 Corinthians, he's showing that perseverance to the Corinthians. Paul's ministry is about sticking with people. Paul realizes he's got an important role to play as a spiritual father to them. He realizes that God has appointed them to serve as their spiritual father, and so he sticks with them. Secondly, Paul's ministry is about serving. Read with me from verse 14. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. So as Paul tells the Corinthians that he's about to come visit them, he makes it very clear that he's not going to be a burden to them. He won't expect them to pay him. He uses this metaphor of a father with his child. I'm sure many parents who are here would agree with me that being a parent is much more about giving than it is about getting. That's certainly what I've found so far with my three-month-old baby, and there's a picture of him up there on the screen. Now, while I'd certainly love for Caleb to start changing his own nappies, or at least emptying his own nappy bin, that's not going to happen. Being a parent is about service. It's about giving rather than getting. Paul will gladly use his own money for the sake of coming and visiting the Corinthians. Now, elsewhere, Paul actually does talk about how gospel workers deserve to be paid for doing the work of the Lord. But for the Corinthians, he gives up this right. He's not going to be a financial burden to them. In fact, he'll go even further in verse 15 and even expend himself for the sake of serving the Corinthians, like a father serving his child. For Paul, this is what Christian ministry is, sacrificial service. Sadly, the Corinthians don't seem to have realized this. Verses 16 to 18 show us that they, probably under the influence of those false teachers, have even accused Paul of embezzling. This is ridiculous. It's the exact opposite of the truth. Paul has not benefited financially from the Corinthians at all. He's given so much for them and taken nothing. For Paul, Christian ministry is service. It's putting others before himself. So why does Paul give his resources and himself? Well, this brings us to number three. For Paul, Christian ministry is about strengthening. Read verse 19 with me. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. So Paul makes it clear here that in his uh, letter, his purpose hasn't been to defend himself to the Corinthians. He doesn't need to. It's God's opinion that matters, not theirs. No, the purpose of the letter is for their strengthening. That's the reason for his four letters that he sent. It's the reason for his painful visit, and it's the reason he's coming to visit again. Paul wants to build the Corinthians up, to strengthen them in the faith, to see them grow and stand firm in Christ. He mentions this again in chapter 13, verse 10, when he says his authority is for building them up and not tearing them down. 
You see, Paul isn't writing this letter to be nasty. He's not telling them he's going to come punish them out of revenge. He hasn't written this letter to make himself look good. No, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul is motivated by strengthening, building the Corinthian church up. And for Paul, building the Corinthians up doesn't mean he's going to be a people pleaser. He's not going to only tell them what they want to hear. And this brings us to our fourth aspect of Paul's ministry, straight talking. Read with me from verse 20. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. The problem here isn't so much that the Corinthians are sinful. The Bible makes it pretty clear that even Christians are still sinful. We continue to sin. Paul is particularly worried about unrepentant sin, that some of the Corinthians are still persisting in their sinful behaviours despite multiple rebukes and warnings along the way. Well, Christians aren't perfect. As much as we should strive to be perfect and holy, the reality is that Christians still sin. But Christians need to be people who repent of their sin. That's how we become Christians, and it's how we continue as Christians. It's why we regularly confess our sins together here at church, as we did this morning. Some of the Corinthians clearly needed to repent. Paul had taught them and rebuked them again and again through their letters. Christians need to repent of their sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I found the first verse of chapter 13 a bit random the first time I read it, when Paul says, every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Why does Paul mention this Old Testament law? I think verse uh, 2 helps us out here. It says, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. See, the Old Testament disputes needed the testimony of two or three eyewitnesses. And Paul is using his two previous visits as eyewitnesses. Eyewitness one, eyewitness two, and his next visit will be the final test to see if the Corinthians have repented of their sins. Here Paul brings in what I'm calling his straight talking. Read with me from verse two. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Here Paul is giving the Corinthian church a final chance to repent before he returns and they'll face the consequences. Now, I'm a high school teacher. I teach history and Christian studies. And when I had COVID earlier this year, I had to send in work for my students. Many kids in one of my senior classes hadn't submitted any work in the entire week I was off. 
I ended up sending them firm reminder emails, hoping that I wouldn't have to punish them when I returned. Unfortunately, I still did for some of them. But like this, Paul is giving people a final chance to repent before facing serious discipline from him in person. Well, Paul shows steadfast love to the Corinthians. He's a model of what Christian leadership and Christian service looks like. But he's not afraid to offend them. He's not afraid to tell them off. In fact, this is one way he can strengthen them and build them up. One way that God works in the lives of Christians is through godly discipline and rebuke. I love getting encouragement, but you know what sticks with me more when I look back of my life so far? It's when I've actually been rebuked by those in Christian leadership. It wasn't pleasant at the time. It upset me, but it really helped me to repent and change. When you are rebuked, how do you react? It's all too easy to make excuses, to be self-righteous, to criticize the person who's rebuking us. But being rebuked by a Christian minister or leader is one way that God actually grows us. Do you see rebuke as an opportunity to grow in your faith? But we see Paul's straight talking again in verse 5 when he seems to talk more broadly to the Corinthian church. Read verses 5 and 6 with me. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. The false teachers here have caused a lot of confusion, and so Paul challenges the Corinthians to examine themselves and to see if they're truly in the faith. Again, this is motivated by the desire to strengthen them. Paul wants to, punish, uh, wants to push them to one of two different options. Firstly, and you can see on the screen there, to be certain and assured that they're truly saved. Or second, to realize that they haven't yet become Christians. If the Corinthians test themselves and they realize that they are indeed in the faith, that they're living with Jesus as their king, that they're repenting of their sin, that's great. What an assurance. But some of the Corinthians may have actually had to realize that they weren't Christians. They weren't yet in their faith. Their persistent, unrepentant sin might mean that they actually haven't accepted Christ yet and they aren't Christians. If this is the case, Paul wants them to realize this and then to repent and turn to Christ. I had a friend at uni who thought he was a Christian. But it was so clear just from even his social media that he was living a life of sin. Eventually, he came to the realization that he wasn't a Christian. He hadn't actually repented or trusted in Jesus. And praise God, realizing that he wasn't a Christian actually led to him repenting and trusting in Jesus and becoming a Christian. But it was important for him to realize that first. So the reason Paul gives the Corinthians this challenge is again for their benefit, to build them up, to give assurance to those who truly are in the faith, and to prompt those who aren't yet to make that change and to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So we've seen Paul is tough on the Corinthian church. He's a straight talker. He rebukes them and he disciplines them when he needs to. This is all for the purpose of building the church up. The fifth aspect of Paul's ministry to the Corinthians that I want us to see this morning is supplication, prayer. Prayer. 
Read with me from verse 7 through to verse 9. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we've stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. Here Paul tells the Corinthians that he's praying for them, that they won't do anything wrong, but they'll do what is right. In short, that they will not sin. He also prays uh, in verse 9 that they will be fully restored in right relationship with Christ. A key component of Paul's ministry is his dependence on God in prayer. And here in this passage, we see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility working together. On the one hand, the Corinthians need to repent. They need to change. And Paul tells them to do this. But at the same time, Paul acknowledges that it's God who does the work. That's why he prays for God to help the Corinthians to do what is right and to be restored. We see this again in the final few verses of the passage. In verses 11 and 12, Paul urges the Corinthians to strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, and live in peace. And then in verse 14, he says these famous words that we conclude our Sunday meetings with. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's praying in this verse that Christ will work in the Corinthians by his grace. He's praying that God's love will be with them and work within them. And he's praying that God the Holy Spirit will restore their relationships with God and with each other. As we say the grace each week, we're praying that the triune God will be with us and work within us and change us. So even as Paul tells the Corinthians to do things in the passage, to repent, to rejoice, to encourage one another, and to test themselves, he also prays that God will help them to do those things. And this is why prayer is such an important part of Christian ministry, because God is in control. Christian ministry must be grounded in prayer. Now, we're not actually told how the Corinthians reacted to this letter. We don't know how Paul's third visit went. But as curious as we might be about the next part in the story, we need to focus not so much on how the Corinthians reacted, but on how we should react. What are the implications for this section of God's word for us here today? Well, I think the implications for this passage can be seen both for God's people in general and for Christian leaders in particular. Firstly, for God's people. We need to examine ourselves and to see whether we're in the faith, to test ourselves. And from this passage, we see that what characterizes people in the faith is this. They repent of their sin. It's a big deal when people who call themselves Christians are not repenting. Have you repented of your sin? Even though 2 Corinthians was written 2,000 years ago, I think our sins are often very similar to those of the Corinthian church. Which of these are you most prone to? Impurity, sexual sin, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, or arrogance? Are there any of those sins that you need to repent of? Test yourself. 
Repent of your sin. And know that we have this assurance in the scriptures that Jesus forgives those who repent and cleanses them of all unrighteousness. Also, as God's people, how do we react when a minister or a growth group leader or a mentor rebukes us? If you're like me, you can be all too quick to justify yourself, to make excuses or discount it. But as Paul has shown us here, discipline from a Christian leader is one way that God builds us up. We need to listen when we're rebuked, repent of our sin, and know that this is part of God's plan to strengthen us. Well, secondly, some implications for Christian leaders. Paul is writing here in a unique situation. He has the authority of an apostle. He's part of this select group that does not continue today. So our ministers, our bishops, even our archbishops don't have the same authority that Paul does here. But even though our situation isn't identical, this passage has a lot to model for Christian leaders. If you're a minister, a chaplain, a growth group leader, a youth leader, a kids' church leader, a lay preacher, service leader, music team leader, mentor, or parent, then this passage has a lot to tell you about how to lead people in your ministry. If you might do one of those roles in the future, then this passage has a lot to teach you too. Let's think about those five features of Paul's ministry. Sticking with people. Ministry can be really hard and really messy because ministry is about people. People who are sinful, muddled, works in progress, like you and me. In our ministry roles, let's not be quick to give up on people. Don't just move on or check out if people are hard work. Ministry involves sticking with people. Serving. The word ministry actually just means service. It's what Christian ministry is all about. It's not about what we gain. It's about wholeheartedly giving your energy, your time, your money, and yourself to serve others. Remember that in your ministry. And remember, too, the goal of ministry. It's for strengthening, for building up. I know from personal experience that it's all too easy to lose sight of that motivation at times and instead to want to build ourselves up. No, ministry is about strengthening people to trust in Jesus and stand in him. Paul's also shown us that ministry involves straight talking. Now, I suspect this is a really tough one for us in the ways we serve. It's countercultural. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But sometimes, prayerfully and considerately, rebuking someone you lead is exactly what's needed. If someone in your growth group is living a life of unrepentant sin, be clear with them. They need to repent. If someone you lead in ministry is hurting a brother or sister, rebuke them. Friends, it can be so hard to do. But assuming we're doing it with the right motive, it's a way that God uses us to strengthen our brothers and sisters in the faith. Well, finally, like Paul, Christian leaders need to be praying for the people we lead. I'm speaking to myself here too. Are you praying for the kids in your kids' church class, that they will know and love Jesus? Are you praying for your mentee? Are you praying for your youth group, your growth group, your ministry team member, your own children? In Christian ministry, we rightly serve, teach, lead, and correct people. 
But at the same time, it's God who actually does the work. He's the one who changes people's hearts. He's the one who helps people to repent and to say no to sin. And so we need to be praying for the people we serve. Well, Christian leaders, or future Christian leaders, persevere with the people you minister to. Serve them so that they'll be strengthened in their faith. Rebuke and discipline them when you need to. And pray for them, remembering that God is in control and he is the one who changes hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you teach us through your word. Father, help us to repent of our sin. Father, help us to test ourselves and make sure we are really of the faith. And Father, thank you for the assurance that when we do repent and turn to you, you forgive us and cleanse us. Father, help us to take godly rebuke and and discipline in the right way and see it as a way that you are building us up. And Father, as Christian leaders or as future Christian leaders, help us to persevere with the people we lead. Father, help us to serve those people so they're strengthened in their faith. Father, help us to rebuke them when we need to. And Father, help us to be people of prayer, praying for the people that we lead remembering that you're in control and you're the one who changes hearts. All this we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen.